So, uh, what have you guys been working on this week? Oh, man, get this. So, we were off on an away mission, right? And uh, we, we, we found up, we, we found up on this cave. And in this cave, there was like a body lying on this kind of crypt-looking thing. Uh, no one else on this planet, right? The entire rest of the planet had been wiped out. But this, this body was perfectly preserved. So, we went over it and we woke it up. And it turns out it, it's an android, right? It's an artificial being. Uh, with this incredible ponotrosic brain that can, that can think about things way faster than any human being can and perfectly designed. We discovered a secret laboratory behind the cave uh, in which it, we found out that this android was designed by a human from Earth, a doctor, a scientist. Um, and also in there we found that this android had... Um, a di- there was another disassembled android who was this android's... Um, kind of evil twin sort of, sort of situation right so so this this all kind of played out and uh, but but the android you know we think it's really shady so in order to help him adjust to life on the enterprise we decided to uh, leave him in the care of the person who could probably empathize with and care for him the most oh who's that uh, o'brien A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain's Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slug, Stardate 77. These are the continued voyages of this podcast. I'm Eddie. Mark's here as well. Mark, Mark, how you doing? How you been? Uh, I'm fine, uh, except um, I just a bit uh, ten minutes before we started recording this, uh, I discovered that H Bomber guy has released yet another four-hour-long video essay, uh, and I'm uh, I've got a lot to do this weekend. Yeah, I saw that. I saw it pop up and was like, oh, YouTube and plagiarism, that'd be interesting. I might give that a watch before the podcast. And I looked at it, it was like, three hours and 41 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I do him and Dan Olsen have a bet <laughs> as to who could produce the longest video essay. I think yeah. Mia Mulder might be in it as well, because her is the economy mad at us video that she put up the other day. It's like three hours and 30 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't believe that I now need to put aside the same amount of time for an H-Bomber guy video, as I do for Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> and you know what? I'm I'm fine with that. That what that one about the uh, the sound effect in the uh, Messiah video game? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you, yeah, it's it's fantastic. The the thing I will say about that is this, um, Martin Scorsese. If you want to complain that cinema is dead, right? Don't make movies that are the length of a Netflix miniseries. Because right? I'm not going to go sit in the cinema for three hours and watch something that hasn't got a mule near in it, right? Okay. If you if you make 22 other movies leading up to that three-hour movie, then yeah, you've earned it. Fair enough. But if you're just going to make a three-hour movie, make a Netflix movie, that I, make a Netflix miniseries that I can watch at home. Because that's what I'm going to do with Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Yeah, I and I, I'm... 
I mean, this this is this has been talked to death by everyone, but uh, I'm I'm super on board with putting intervals in movies. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think it, I I I think if uh, look I it, quite often we'll be in my house watching a movie on like ITV uh, or like Five Action uh, as 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 occasionally happens, and uh, I will go off on one about the placement of ad breaks. Uh, because they never make any sense. Uh, and sometimes they'll happen in the middle of a scene. Sometimes they'll happen at the setup of a joke and then the payoff will be after the ads. Um, but do you know who... Sure you watch the ads. Yeah. Do you know who <laughs> wouldn't do that to a Martin Scorsese movie? Martin Scorsese. <laughs> so we let him decide when the adverts are coming. Great. Or, or, or hear me out. If you want to make a three-hour-long movie... Here's what I say: You go back to what you cut, you put it back in, and you make two movies, right? Work yeah. for the Godfather. You can do a part one and a part two of stuff like this. I mean, as Godfather proved, you can't really do a part three. But I'm gonna, yeah. If you if you want to do two, Killer, Killers of the Flower Moon part one, um, and then do a part two when the moon gets killed. I, I don't know what happens tune. in the movie. <laughs> I yeah. said Killers of the Flower Toon. Oh, okay, yeah. Good. I, I thought that didn't get the reaction it deserves, so I, I rolled the <laughs> dice and uh, said it again. <laughs> not, not, not two killers, two moon. <laughs> Do you know why Fast and the Furious 2 is called Too Fast, Too Furious and not Fast and the Furious 2? No. Because they don't own the rights to the Fast and the Furious 2 as a name. Because there was already an existing movie called The Fast and the Furious. Yeah. And they paid the person who had that the money to take the name. But very cleverly, in an astute move, that person decided to deliberately keep hold of the sequel rights. So if the movie was a smash, he could pump out cheap uh, knockoff movie sequels that looked like they were related to uh, like the Fast and the Furious successful Hollywood movie. And that might seem like a cheap and scuzzy move that you would expect of only certain people. And in answer to your question, yes, it is Roger Corman. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 oh, uh, I mean, because uh, this is the problem, right? Cheap and scuzzy are two pejoratives that you can absolutely put on Roger Corman. <laughs> and they will be, by the dictionary definitions of those words, absolutely correct. But I can't, I can't fault Roger Corman. I <laughs> like his. Yeah, it, we it, we wouldn't have Scorsese without Corman. We literally wouldn't, right? And, then, and yeah. this isn't like a it, 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 right. So before we get into this quite interesting episode of Star Trek, so Roger Corman. <laughs> Is like a B movie director, like very much the guy who, well, I've got twenty five grand to spare uh, and a weekend off, uh, time to go and make a movie. Like he's like that guy, right? And and yeah. he does very and he's been going for fucking. The guy is four hundred years old, right? To, and to the talk reason, about the guy's influence, he the original Rocky uh, Little Shop of Horrors, which is not a musical, is a movie made by Roger Corman in three days with no budget for a bet. <laughs> and Jack Nicholson's on it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, back in the day, he would obviously, you know, the, the Enterprise doesn't fly itself. 
so you need to have people on hand to help you make your movie, whether that's runners, whether that's editors, whether that's camera people, whether that's literally people running about getting water for the rest of the crew. And at one point, the kid getting that water was fucking Steven Spielberg. Like, literally was. Like, yeah. And uh, the next week, oh, well, uh, Steven, I've, I've got you a partner to help you load the film or whatever. This is Martin. Uh, and uh, we've got a new kid coming in on work experience. Uh, something Lucas, I think. Like, the whole new Hollywood of the 1970s and 80s came from what they affectionately called the Roger Corman School of Filmmaking. And I think he himself has been has said something to the effect of, "Yeah, the movies I make are utter shit, but look what I gave you." <laughs> yeah, he's like to to give an idea of how influential he is. Um, uh, there's a, a, a the entire crew who worked on Aliens were doing that because Roger Corman had to do a shoot in America, so he couldn't use his UK crew. Like they were all his people, and that's why. And they were like, they 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 talk about it. They're like, yeah, we just worked on it at the same level that we do for a Roger Corman movie. It just had the difference that the movie was good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It will be a serious black armband day in my house the day Roger Corman goes. He's in. He's in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, he's like he runs the yeah. prison like very yeah, briefly right, because yeah. everybody owes Roger Corman a favor. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that's and that's how Roger Corman makes movies so cheaply. Is Roger Corman has no problem for looking in those favors, where he just yeah. rings people up and goes, uh, "Do you remember that? Do you remember that time I got you that 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 that, uh, that audition for that role that you landed? That was very good." He goes, "Yeah, right. I need a helicopter pilot. Right? Yeah. It's two days of shooting. The dialogue's terrible, and I just need you to come in and out and do it. Can you do it?" And goes, "How much do I get paid? Look, did I not mention the audition?" <laughs> <laughs> Hey, George, um, you know that fucking massive house that you're in right now, thanks to some nonsense called Star Wars? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I Can I have all your old props? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, just, just for the amount of work that man has done to keep matte painters in uh, in work <laughs> throughout Hollywood, like, it, throughout history, it, it, yeah, he's... It's one of the weirdest things. There is nothing he has ever produced that has any artistic value whatsoever. Oh, but yeah. his funeral will have the A-list of yeah. Hollywood at it. If you're, if you're not a film person, like you're, you're welcome here. I'm sorry that we talk about it in the ways that might not always be super accessible. But if you're not a film person and you're like, this Roger Corman guy sounds super interesting, I'm going to look him up. I'm going to watch something that he made. Well, in 2009, Sci-Fi made a movie called Sharktopus. <laughs> that I believe he directed. Um, if you also want a good a good watch, there is a Fantastic Four movie <laughs> from the... Is it early 90s? 1934. Yeah, um, that um, he made for a budget of a million dollars, which literally isn't available anywhere legally because it was only made because the rights deal they had with Marvel meant that if a movie didn't go into production by a certain point the rights would default back to Marvel uh, so it's entirely gone but Roger Corman for legal reasons wasn't allowed to tell anybody who was working on the movie that this is what they were doing so it's actually quite well made <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's, uh, do you know what though it has the, the thing uh, ben Grimm in it is is like a legitimate puppet, and the puppet looks great. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's like it's like Jim Henson Ninja Turtles level. <laughs> it probably was a Ninja Turtle. Like yeah. it probably started live as a Ninja Turtle. There's any time you see Steve anything Barron. in a Hey, remember, <laughs> remember that? Remember that time I gave you that job that, that fucking paid for that conservatory? Well, yeah. Anybody who's worked in practical special effects. Like, I'm just going to say this. When Roger Corman dies, Adam Savage will upload a two-hour-long video about his experiences working with Roger Corman. That's... I don't wait. Shall we talk about this episode of, of Star Trek? Yes. I'm just going to point out... Uh, right, I, I have one... <laughs> so I just opened up my notes. I, I'm sometimes not great at taking notes for these. I just try and remember the things. Uh, and I've wrote down a note that um, <laughs> if if the, I'm going to have to delete this because if this ever gets out, right, I <laughs> I, I think I'm going to be taking in for scientific study because I always I use Evernote so you put a heading and the right. heading is always the name of the episode and the name of this episode is Suddenly Human, right? Um, and the text of the note is simply the words It is weird that we scream. <laughs> Which I know how I'm going to discuss in context, <laughs> <laughs> but and then and then that's underlined. <laughs> See, because I understand the context that that applies to this episode, but equally, that feels like the sort of note that they would have found, like you know. At one of the camps after the, after the... Oh, it's it, it's the type of note that like Mengele had. It's weird that we scream. Underline more research. It's the type of note that fucking Ted Bundy would be like, oh. <laughs> uh so this this episode is suddenly human. Yes. Uh this is uh first complaint. Uh is <laughs> That uh, on Memory Alpha, this is listed as uh, being a bottle episode, which is untrue. Uh, because it's not they, a bottle episode. It's not a bottle episode. <laughs> they go to the other ship in the fucking beginning. Um, yeah. So <laughs> so, the whole, so the plot is, they get a distress call from a Talarian. Talarian observation craft that has a radiation leak. Yeah, and That's... Data uh, helpfully uh, <laughs> tells us that during the war, uh, the Talarians... Uh, uh, the, the the Hamas of space um, uh, what they do is sometimes they would uh, send out a, a distress call uh, and whenever anyone arrived at the ship, the ship would just fucking blow up which um, uh, I, 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 I've got in my notes about this, i just got that's wonderfully cunty <laughs> yeah that's horrible right, that's really really bad that's yeah because you can't not that's the problem. Is like, eat, no matter how many times it happens, you still can't stop responding to distress signals. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so they they go they go onto the ship and they find five survivors. Yeah, uh, and the two and and importantly, they also find the two flashing tubes prop. Oh yeah, yeah, I did point that out. Um, <laughs> so they find five survivors, four of which are Talarian and one of which is a human. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they bring them all on board uh, and uh, sort of nurse them back to health, and then the rest of the episode is what can only be described as parenting hijinks. <laughs> yes, Picard yes, it is. Discovers what he would be like as a father. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite 
I, 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 I've, I think it's a really... I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is one of the all-time great Star Trek Next Generation episodes. But what I will say is this. This is a very Star Trek The Next Generation episode yeah. of Star Trek The Next Generation. Because it has the... Um, it's the basic idea that what's right for this kid, he... It turns out that the Telerians have a thing in their culture where they, they're the captain of this Telerian vessel... Um, lost his child in the war with the Federation, um, which has never been mentioned before, I don't think, but has happened. Got a lot of wars on. Yeah. Um, so he lost his child to the Federation, which means when he wiped out a colony uh, and there was a, ba- a, a baby or toddler left there, under their custom, he was entitled to claim that as like recompense. Yeah. And he and and they they're worried that the son was the boy was being abused, uh, because because um, Bev's a judgmental bitch. Um, it's like he's got a break. It's, he's got signs that he broke an arm and he broke some of his ribs and he's fourteen. And she immediately goes to torture rather than sports. Yeah, Laura's Laura's immediate reaction to that was just because your son's a fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I like if you looked at my medical records. Uh, by the time I was fourteen, uh, you would see five broken limbs, and I didn't grow an extra one. I just broke one arm twice. When I was a when I was a baby, right, and uh, or a toddler, I I think I've told the story on this podcast before. Um, the um, you know those those little tyke cars. The, ones oh, yeah. with the, the red ones with the yellow roof. I was playing in the hallway of my house in that, and my neighbour's kid got took hold of the back of it and then just started sort of pushing me around. And I was like, wee, this is great. I'm in Fast and Furious 2, a Roger Corman picture. <laughs> Which was purely theoretical at the time. Uh, and uh, he slammed me into the stairs. Right. And three days later, uh, my parents were like, Mark seems to be completely incapable of walking without supporting himself on something. And they took me in to get x-rayed, and they the doctors discovered that I had broken my femur so badly that they considered... The, the doctor, I think the doctor and us, somehow my mum found this out, that the doctors considered calling, like, CP, like Child Protective Services... <laughs> I, I like the fact that they considered it and didn't just, you know, do it so they could have a check. And do you know what, do you know what's weird, right? Is, is, and and, I'm, and I'm, I'm ragging on my parents here. It's not the first time that happened. The other, the other time was that um, they took me to the dentist to look at my baby teeth and my baby teeth were so rotten that the dentist assumed that I had malnutrition. But the problem was that my parents had been feeding me Ribena. Right. Which has a criminally high sugar content but the ad the, uh, you know the, the the adverts at the time were like give this to your kids yeah uh, if you're an american and you're listening this um you don't have ribena in your country because the the black black currants that they use to make it have like some sort of there's some sort of pathogen that lives on the bushes that would kill other plants in your country so you've banned black currant oh, um, so you might know. not understand this but to make this clear even if Ribena literally dissolved your teeth on contact. I would still drink it. <laughs> I drink it now. I, I, I love it. 
literally amazing. One of the most delicious things. It's the reason why in the UK sweets don't come with grape flavour because that's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> we don't understand why you do that when you can have black currant. Yeah, black currant uh, is way better. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, speaking of that, like my, if you were to look at my medical records, uh, my, my brothers, by the time we were um, like at uh, sixteen, my brother had managed to break every single one of his limbs, yep. um, and. Uh, uh, and so you would think if any, if either of us was being abused, it, it was it was him. But those were all accidents, and all of the abuse in my childhood was emotional. Uh, and, <laughs> and you can't actually for that. No, <laughs> not yet. Maybe in the future. Yeah, Deanna Troy could do it. Great Troy episode, by the way. Oh, I so this was something I wanted to bring up. Right, so two two things I actually noticed in this episode. I I guess I'd never seen Beverly's pips before. Because uh, her hair always sits over them, she has three pips. She has the equivalent rank as as Riker, yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. She is the only one who can override both the captain and Riker. But then Troy, I I guess as the ship's counselor, doesn't have any pips, or maybe just can't find anywhere to put them on that fucking thong that she wears. Um, but she, when she's alone with Picard, she can fucking. He, he's like, nope, Picard's like, nope, that's it, I'm going back to my duties, and he presses on his computer, and Troy is just like, no, fuck that, and then just turns it off. Yeah, I like, do, I do have it, it's like, how many people are there on that vessel who are allowed to do that? And you know what, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that Troy wasn't allowed to do that last season. I'm going to say that yeah. Picard, because we, we never see Picard like it, Picard talks to Troy, but he never like has any therapy, but... Given the events of Best of Both Worlds, I think it's safe to assume he has had a significant amount of actual therapy now and yeah. understands for his mental well-being that sometimes he just has to do what Troy says. It's also kind of amazing that the two people on the ship who can override the captain are the people in charge of his physical and mental health. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which obviously makes sense. It does obviously make sense. One thing that doesn't make sense about this is so the reason that Picard has to father the kid is because the the, the Talarians have a fiercely patriarchal society and won't listen to anything from from women. And Troy therefore goes well. Actually, in given the situation, which is we think oh it, yeah. Also, it turns out they do a DNA test and the kid's mum's an admiral. <laughs> so, oh, his grand's an admiral. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So she's like, yeah, she's. Oh, we need a man to do like the, the counselling and try and work out and help this boy become back to his culture or whatever, and find out whether he's being abused. Um, and Troy has to give that job to Picard mm. because, okay, I know that Bev isn't the only doctor because there are shifts. Troy can't be the only counsellor. <laughs> there yeah. should be at least she should be that that should be a wing like medical. Like there should be two or three staff yeah. working in that office. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> For situations like this. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's as well as just things like show leaving days off, we know for a fact that there are shift patterns on the Enterprise. Yeah. So surely she should only do alpha shift. Yeah. Like what if you're if you're on the night shift, not that night exists in space, but if you're on the night shift and you suffer a debilitating, like you see one of your best friends get disintegrated down to the skeleton in front of you, yeah, um, 
So you now need to look your count. You get taken off duty, and you have to be doing your counselling, which is on a different shift pattern to you, which is even only going to fuck you up even more. Or debatazoids not sleep. Uh, <laughs> is she just on call? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, again, great Troy episode because she realizes like Picard's got to do this, and Picard tries to get out of it. Yeah, Picard. Picard's just like I fucking hate kids. I, I no, I like what he says, which is she, she looks. His Picard goes to her goes. This might not. This might be news to you, counselor. But I have never considered myself to be very good with children. And <laughs> yeah. and 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 Tro, uh, Troy delivers the most sarcastic, really, <laughs> that has ever been delivered in Star Trek. <laughs> And he gives a big excuse, and then like Troy just looks at him and goes, "That is the most well rehearsed excuse I have ever heard." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's a there's quite a fa- quite quite a sort of well known. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if it's an idiom, uh, but it's basically don't don't tell anyone anything that you don't want their partner to know as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure that especially if it's something that's a bit well, that's a bit weird. Because you need to talk about it to someone, um, and uh, I'm sure that the first time that fucking Riker came on board and Picard was like, "Right, uh, your number one duty is keep me the fuck away from children." Uh, <laughs> I imagine Riker immediately went to try and went, "Oh man, you should hear the shit that John Luke just threw at me." <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, there's also the fact that every time they encounter it, he's she's she's an empath, so yeah. every time they yeah. encounter a child, she just hears his brain go, "Oh fuck." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she should be like I know what a silent eye roll sounds like <laughs> yeah, she she literally and she calls him on it really quickly as well she says you're cringing away from from your duties and Picard's like I'm not cringing I'm acknowledging my limitations <laughs> I was like it, it takes you've got to be very very secure in your intellectual position to tell Picard he's cringing yeah <laughs> Did you recognise the Telerian captain, uh, who is the dad I that has adopted him? Sort of, right? I I sort of recognised him enough to be like, I think I know that guy, but I didn't even recognise him enough to do the Leonardo DiCaprio point at the screen and show in things, <laughs> uh, which is how we do it in our house. Um, have you ever watched Day of the Dead? Yes. You know Bub the Zombie? Shut up. That's this is the captain from this Shut episode up. of the other ship was Bub the Zombie. Fantastic. Yeah. I because I was it was literally it's like it's on the tip of my brain. Yeah. It's ruining me and then I Googled it and it was like <laughs> I am yeah. um, I love Day of the Dead. Um I actually think and this this is controversial, I actually think I prefer Day of the Dead to Dawn of the Dead. Now, I will qualify that by saying that I acknowledge that Day of the Dead is a much more important and arguably much better made picture. However, there is one thing that I love more than zombie killing action, and that is zombie admin. (laughs) And like, the ways that people who aren't just panicking and trying to figure out how to survive in the immediate aftermath of discovering a zombie apocalypse, but who have maybe been kicking about for six months to a year 
and are just like, well, kind of bored now, so we have to figure out how we're actually going to live in this world, how <laughs> they go about it, especially if they're fucking scientists. That little yeah. zombie trap gate that they have, genius. Yeah, it's any if if somebody says that their favorite live of the dead trilogy movie is not of the living dead what that tells me is that they don't have ne- don't really have an appreciation of zombie cinema because the correct answer is dawn of the dead but yeah. the day of the dead is definitely the, the hipster answer where you can go well actually uh, i think you'll find it <laughs> i don't know man i i'd argue that, that night of the living dead is the hipster answer because it's it's just like well i just hate because, racism to be fair I just want to make it clear: you can like both of the other of the dead movies oh, and, yeah. and dislike racism. Um, yeah, there's not yeah. there's not any of them that gives like a ri- racism a ringing endorsement. <laughs> no. Like there's no line in Day of the Dead when he just goes, "Well, it goes." Where they look at the cameras, goes, "Well, they may be zombies, but at least they're not Japanese." All right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he leaves that for Land of the Dead. <laughs> La- yeah, La- yeah, La- Land of the Dead is. Um... Land of the Dead is like if John Romero had to make a zombie movie for idiots. Yeah. They'd be like, hey, you know capitalism? <laughs> uh, you know how it's not great? Let me spell this out for you. <laughs> Nobody was seriously critiquing Romero when he was making the original two movies. So he just did whatever he wanted. And then everybody started critiquing them seriously. And it was like interviews with him where they're like, what I really like about your movies is the social criticism. And Romero was like, what? (laughs) 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 Oh, I didn't realise I was doing that. I better put some in my next one. And then the next movie, Land of the Dead, might as well not have any zombies in it and just be be an hour of having a black screen with the white letters capitalism bad on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it's because he didn't wear those really thick glasses when he was younger? <laughs> oh, I didn't see that I put in a, a coded uh, metaphor for the racism of the Deep South. Jesus, I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I should have had my glasses on. Uh. Yeah, the only... Uh, of course it was. You had the only black character be the survivor. He, goes, he was black? <laughs> <laughs> And you know there was that there was that 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 criticism that that, that that sort of social criticism of him being shot by the by the white people at the end. Oh no, I just we just didn't want to make it out. <laughs> he kept asking for more money, so we shot him. Yeah, we didn't want to come back for a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> what what did you think of the uh, the squash but Tron? Uh, I've got written down Tron squash. Um, yeah. Just normal squash, isn't it? Oh, so here's the thing. I originally, when I remember watching this, like, first time around, I always have had a problem with Star Trek doing silly space sports. Yeah. Because I think that you can think too much of sports as being kind of, like, set. Mm. Like, and then you get a bit older and you realise, no, no, we invented all of this stuff pretty recently. And there's plenty of room for new ones. Like, skateboarding's in the Olympics now. Pickleball. Which I refuse to understand has been taking the uh, the world by storm. So maybe this is just this is, this comes out of somebody fucking about with a squash court and just going, well, what if I spray that up there and it becomes huge? We I'm doing an acting class at the moment and uh, we always do a warm up at the beginning right. uh, and the warm up and usually the warm up has some sort of sort of message for for the class the, the class that we were going to do. So, so the warm up will will involve like forethought 
or it will involve um, kind of almost like yes anding or something, but in a kind yeah. of real sort of hidden way. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago, uh, we played Foursquare. Have you played this? No, I haven't. So Foursquare is really interesting. So Foursquare is a ball game, uh, and it has to have... I, 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 don't, I only know the rules from the way that we played it, but I assume these are the, the actual rules. Um, it needs to have more than four players, and you need to have a grid on the ground that's literally four, uh, one square divided into four smaller squares. And there's one person in each square, and there's a server, and the server bounces the ball, mm-hmm. and it has to bounce it into another person's square, a bit like Tron Squash. Mm-hmm. They then have to hit the ball so that it bounces into someone else's square, who then one bounce and then out. But if the ball goes out, or if the ball bounces twice, the person in that square has to leave the square, and like the everyone moves around one corner. Right. Okay. This is easier to visualize if you see it happening, right? And then another player who was a non-player comes in, and they become the server. And the goal of the game, the winner of the game, is whoever is in the top right-hand square at the end, because you have to put a time limit on it. Right, okay. And it's fucking intense. Like, it gets <laughs> it gets super competitive, because one of the rules that we had, that I don't know if this is an official rule, is that the person who's waiting to come in automatically becomes the ref, and the ref's word is final. Okay. But there is no arguing. Um, but there's, like, other rules, like, if you... If the ball bounces once in your square and you just smack it right at another player and hit them in the legs without it bouncing, they are out. Um, but if you <laughs> miss or they dodge it, you are out. Right. Okay. Um, it's cool, man. It's it's an interesting game, uh, and I'm and I'm like, this could be my new obsession. If I <laughs> was if if I was six years old in the playground, I would want to play this twenty four seven. But uh, yeah. Because I remember the only episode of the Tudors I have ever seen. Uh, actually, there's two episodes of the Tudors I have ever seen. One of them is the one in which Anne Boland gets her head cut off. Because I literally, I had to watch that for work one time. Um, right, okay. And uh, the other one is uh, the pilot. And in the pilot, Henry Cavill and Jonathan, not Majors, Jonathan Rhys Myers play badminton. But it just looks like regular. Bo- our timey badminton. Yeah. And I always felt a bit uneasy by that because I always imagined that sports have to evolve. Like, if you, <laughs> if you, if you went back in time to... Uh, so all the so all the, this, the, the football teams, right? All the Premier League teams, not all of them, right? I'm speaking in generalities here. All the Prem teams, even all the, all the championship teams, all the old teams, Wrexham being one of the oldest, they, on their badges, they will always say, like, 18... Like they don't go much further back than like the 1830s. Mm-hmm. That's because before that, football was just a completely different sport. Yeah, because the Scots hadn't yet invented the concept of passing forward. Uh, I, I feel I feel we need to bring up at this point something very important about how all posh people are liars, um, which is that the school of rugby likes to claim that rugby was invented by somebody who was. Um, uh, brilliantly and expertly disobeying the rules of, of football but it is important to note that the rules of football were not codified until about 10 years after rugby was invented uh yeah <laughs> yeah so, so they because this is a 
this is a, an, an, an interesting uh, conversation I like to have with Americans. Uh, because every now and again, I, I feel like Americans get put down upon quite a lot in the world of culture. And every now and again, I feel like we should be like, do you know what? You're actually kind of in the right on this. Which is that um, we call football football and we get annoyed when people call football soccer. But they're yeah. actually technically more correct. Uh, yeah, because there are two types of football. Rugby football and association football. And association got shortened to soccer. Soccer. So... Yeah, they are. They rugby and soccer are the two names of the f- versions of football. It's a bit like it's a bit like how in in Ireland, uh, the the GAA GA encompasses both hurling and Irish football, but right. Irish football gets called GA. Right. Okay, I didn't know that, but Irish yeah, football. that's right. This is fucking sports corner on the Strathclyde <laughs> podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All the fucking nerds and autistics just tuned out for ten minutes. <laughs> I will say, if you are an American though, and, and you do, um, you, you you are you might be on the right on that one. But you you're you the fact that you allow your sports teams to move cities is frankly oh, madness. Yeah, it's yeah, it's capital. It's George, George Romero wouldn't be furious until you pointed out to him that capitalism sucks. <laughs> to, to 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 fully explain how how batshit that is, I'm an Arsenal supporter. We moved our stadium from Woolwich Arsenal, which is just south of the uh, of the Thames, to Highbury, which is north of the Thames. I think it is a, a movement of in total maybe about five miles. And um, we regularly and we regularly still get called the Nomads by Spurs, who are our most hated rivals. <laughs> and I should point out that that move happened in, I believe, eighteen ninety two. Right? <laughs> yeah. Celtic and Rangers will continue to hate each other on religious grounds long after it's been scientifically proven that there is no God. <laughs> um, to get off sports, um, Wesley Crusher says the most depressing thing that anyone's ever said in Star Trek. He is introducing the human kid to um, a banana split. Yep. And he says, this is a banana split and it is quite possibly the greatest thing in the known galaxy. Right now, what I'm gonna say is that sounds if we if we if we finally escape this planet and get to the stars, and in all of those travels around the universe, we never find anything better than a banana split, then what was the fucking point? <laughs> yeah. I am um, I I was, I was I, I, funny, I was talking to Laura about this the other day, and it's it, about like matters of perspective and the kind of people thinking that some things are objectively amazing. I, th- I think we were talking about the concept of of steak and blowjob day, which is like this. What? Oh, it's like it's the best manly day in the world, steak and blowjob day. It's the two best things, and I'm like, I don't even particularly like steak. Like I, I'll have a steak. But I'd, I'll I'll never be like oh steak is the is the pinnacle of food because steak's just meat cooked, right? It's not, <laughs> there's nothing, and he, and even then it's it's not done. It, it's literally in the name, not done well. Um, <laughs> so, and then and and, and I um, don't get me wrong. I I I, I certainly appreciate a blowjob. I I I I think they're wonderful, good times. But I I just much prefer hand jobs and hamburgers. <laughs> so, you know, I, Wesley Crusher is absolutely legally free to believe that banana splits are the best thing in the known universe, but it says so much more about him than it does about human potential. 
it, it also definitely highlights that Wes is definitely at this point in the series still a virgin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Riker sat there when he says that, and Riker's like, like Riker's like, I can, I can name fourteen species. <laughs> that yeah, fucked yeah. Diana could hear his eyes rolling uh, on the other <laughs> side of the Enterprise. Oh, there's a disturbance in the force. Someone has claimed in front of Riker that something is better than blowjobs. <laughs> Beta shift are going to be in for a deep cleaning session tonight. <laughs> To get into like the meat of this episode, I, 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 we, we've discussed that one of the things that makes a good Star Trek episode is when it asks a good big question. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a good big question because I genuinely, towards the end of this, I'm like, I don't know what the right thing to do here is. Because yeah. the idea is that this kid was like, what, maybe he remembers his parents dying. So like maybe like two or three. And then he's been raised by this captain yeah. from... The, the Tellarites for all that time, but he's still got living relatives in the Federation. What do you do? Yeah, it, it, so the, the scene where uh, the Captain Ender comes aboard and uh, Picard kind of confronts him and says, he is a human, he has living relatives, and we have signs of abuse. And Ender's like, what the fuck are you talking about? To which Picard replies, well, he's had all these broken bones. And then Ender just laughs and goes, yeah, th- those are from being a child. <laughs> um, so uh, and then he kind of goes well I've raised him I, I love him how does that and then Laura was immediately like I am definitely on this guy's side and I I, I completely agree like he he really is the only family that kid has ever actually known and just because we don't understand that culture and we can't really empathise with that culture clearly that kid can that's why the whole thing about the 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 Talarians don't when they're in pain or when they're in mourning they don't scream or cry they make quite a kind of guttural throatal uh, moan uh, like yes. it, it can t- an almost kind of continuous moan which is why I wrote down it is weird that we scream uh, because <laughs> it's weird that we make that sound when we're in pain I mean we can explain it it's because it, we want attention from other humans to come and help us. But it's it, still, it's it's just bizarre that we do, that we do that. Um, yeah, I mean, because it's it's weird that it's a scream because it could quite easily just be like if you just went bing bong like that, like yeah. you, it would serve the same function. Yeah, exactly. And it wouldn't be weird to do that if everybody did that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But if somebody did do that now, you'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, I do think it's put this is an important episode um, as well because it does finally prove something important about the Federation. Because the Federation likes to talk a big game about its tolerance for other ways and cultures. Um, but this is the first time we've had them interface with a culture that is essentially really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they do a high-pitched scream, they don't respect women. Um, they're just awful. Yeah, because at least Klingons are fun. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which you also get drunk with me, a Klingon. You, you mentioned that this question asked that this episode asks a big question, and I agree. I think I disagree on the nature of the big question, because to me, the setup for the question is uh, a kid orphaned by war uh, from a, a society that is not part of the Federation, taken in by uh, the opposite society, 
raised by parents maybe against their own nature and kind of left to explore who they are as a person in the universe. And my big question is, why the fuck didn't we ask Worf anything? Yeah, yeah. It's it's Worf appears in this episode a bit, yeah. um, but not enough when he would be the perfect person to speak to. Because Worf, this is... This is Worf. It's Worf's brother that he has had found out he was alive when he was 14, not when he was an adult. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. This is opposite Worf. Yeah. It's it's very, very interesting. And I do like the fact that um, he responds by asking Worf originally if he's been captured, because uh, he thinks he's been captured, and then has a go at Worf for accepting orders from women and Wolf just immediately shuts that bullshit down. Yeah. <laughs> right on it, yeah. He's like, no, there's a, like, this is human culture. Women are just as capable in human culture as men of achieving anything. So, no. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. I will continue to follow orders from people of a higher rank than me. Yeah. Which I think literally only includes Bev <laughs> on uh... this shit. Uh, I believe it probably Data, Bev, and um... but Bev's the only woman who outranks. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Assuming there isn't another commander working a different like, because there must be somebody of at least somebody. So what's yeah? Who's running the other shift when like because Riker and Picard are on together. So when they go, it's got to be a free. It's got to be free shifts. It can't. It's got to be free eight-hour shifts. Uh, one I, assumes. I I think it's just I I. If I had to guess, I'd say it's a sort of rotation system. We know that Data occasionally runs the night shift, so Data is third in command. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he runs. He captains the night shift. I I do know that if a situation arises where they like, uh, we really sh- it really should be Picard taking care of us. He just gets called. Yeah. Um. But uh, I think I I imagine Picard and Riker sort of they don't start at nine in the morning together. I imagine they overlap. I imagine Riker maybe takes over at the end of Delta shift uh, yeah. or Charlie shift, um, and then maybe finishes a couple hours before Picard, and then maybe yeah. It it must be super frustrating for Data that I'm guessing legally he can't just stay on the bridge. <laughs> like the idea that data has downtime is ridiculous because in any any time he is not directly the amount of like computational power in data's brain that he can do anything in the space between the words you're telling him um yeah. and he doesn't need to sleep so it must be annoying like he does i'm guessing he does night shifts and stuff occasionally to like cover and um, but every time it's like it's banking up extra time off for him and he's just like i i, I literally I have to assume that every time a season ends before the next season starts, Data just takes like a three-month fucking jolly. Yeah. <laughs> Where he just goes, I've got time off, I'll, I'll go do a hiking tour of the Lake District or something. I don't know. Or yeah. or something more interesting, but on a different planet. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you reckon, because they give the kid back to the Tellarites at the end, and he's got a mum who's an admiral. Do you reckon that was, like, like because she's got to go visit him, like the Gran, at some point? You assume. I I mean I I guess so, but 
Right, so, 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 to, so to fill in the blanks, maybe if you haven't watched the episode, we get photographs of this kid when he's like a toddler with his parents. Um, yeah. And uh, interestingly, if you take the um, the timeline back, if you if you go back the 12 years to the, when the photos would have been taken, uh, his dad is the first person chronologically in the timeline to be wearing the next-gen uniform in the Star Trek universe. Oh, Okay, that is interesting. Um, is it? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so 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 they're on this planet. They're on this kind of Star Trek, Star Trek, Starfleet outpost uh, that gets attacked by the by the Talarians, and and that's when he gets like ki- kidnapped. Would be the technical dictionary definition term. It's but it's he- very interesting because they are explaining it as saying it was a. Starfleet outpost that was attacked and destroyed by the Telerians, but later on you get the captain of the Telerian ship and he's like, I led the raid against the Federation interlopers um, because obviously the, the whatever the situation that started this war, the Telerians uh, believe that planet to be part of their territory. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting that you it's one line and it's like, oh right, okay, it's not it's not as black and white. Fair enough. I imagine it would be that thing of like, well, in human culture, the grand, the living relative would have custody. But yeah, that culture doesn't matter if it's a law being talked about on Talarian soil, as it were. Yeah. And in addition to that, there's the fact that he's 14, which is in Talarian culture means he's allowed to make his own decisions yeah. about this sort of stuff. But equally does mean that if his grandmother took him back to federation space i don't i don't know what we've we've not talked about what the age of consent for legal stuff is in starfleet and it must be different for different species because different people age and mature at different rates yeah so i don't know if you're talking maybe well if it's 16 two years and if it's 18 four years she gets to spend with her grandson at which point you assume he will fuck off back to the Talarians. Yeah, exactly. If, that, if he doesn't want to be there. No. Yeah, so... our culture would probably suck as far as he was concerned. Yes. The only lasting memory he has of our culture is sitting next to the body of his dead mother. <laughs> yeah. And what's that going to do? Turn him into a Batman? <laughs> He's not. No, he's not been doing Batman training. He should already be on that path if he wants the Batman. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's it. Say what you want about Batman, but Bruce Wayne had that down from day one. <laughs> if uh, the 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 interesting thing is like as well, there. So there has been a war with the Salarians. There's a peace and a treaty in place that's mentioned, but it's still quite icy. But you imagine that something like this could actually really help. Like the relations, if yeah. you have, if if Teleria has an official visit from a Starfleet admiral who's there for no political reason, she's just there to visit her grandson who is a Telerian culturally, and she respects all of that. That seems like it would be the only problem being she will, of course, try to destroy their planet because she's a Starfleet admiral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't get these pips because I'm mentally fucking all there, son. 
Starfleet Admirals are the most dangerous like thing in the galaxy. It goes it goes Starfleet Admirals, next down is the Bork. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Actually, no, no, sorry, Starfleet Admirals is at the top. Next yeah. down is Starfleet Admirals working with the Bork. <laughs> Which does happen in, I think, season three of Picard. Next, next, next down is just uh, Starfleet admirals who have travelled back in time uh, <laughs> to work with the Borg. Uh, <laughs> I maintain this. Um, I get that they apparently are banning around the idea of doing a Picard-style series, but for Janeway. And if they do that, I just want it to be. Janeway's trial <laughs> for because even if you go oh that was future Janeway modern day Janeway didn't do any of that stuff with the book fine okay I accept that but Janeway's crimes committed through Voyager are vast and terrifying <laughs> yeah it, it would be because I guess it's it, it, it again not to just take this back to why the fuck wasn't this a wharf episode but it, that was that thing of Star Trek The Next Generation started airing before The Undiscovered Country like years before The Undiscovered Country came out and all of a sudden there was a Klingon on the bridge the same way that there was a Russian on the bridge of the original Enterprise to make us go oh I guess in the future we just find peace and just figure this out like that that would be a a great inroads to 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 go to the Telerians and say if, if you, you you know you don't have to join Starfleet but if you at least become part of the Federation surely this proves to you that we will um, be respectful of your culture yeah and, and kind of let it go like because uh, 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 I mean Star Trek Starfleet and the Federation obviously like their whole things are like the French Liberty egalitarianism and fraternity or whatever yeah uh, but um because there's an episode of Lower Decks about oh there's a, a great payoff to this it's it's we go to Ferenginar, the Ferengi homeworld and uh, who's a fucking not Nog Rom is the new Grand Magus a- along with his uh, Bajoran wife and uh, they still like they're not cool on women but it's about Ferengi's wanting to join the Federation right okay and it's, and it's good I won't I won't spoil it because the payoff is incredible. Um, and you should definitely watch it. Um, also, um, just just to jump ahead, Nog um, in, um, in in Deep Space Nine might be one of the best Starfleet officers that we ever see. Like the fact that he regularly, once he joins Starfleet, uses his specifically it, it is one of the best displays of like diversity being a strong suit because there are so many times where he his ability to think like a Ferengi is puts him 10 steps ahead of whoever he's dealing with when yeah. he's like well hold on a minute no why is everyone here what's going on what are they after and all the stuff like, what do you mean what they're after and he goes right nobody comes and does something like this unless there's a profit yeah. <laughs> right I mean it, it is that 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 theme that the Ninja Turtles uh do do issue which is that um if we work together what makes us different also makes us stronger yeah but the but and it, this is an apocrypha right this isn't an, an official star trek canon but i do think it is something that they should work in because it, it wouldn't break anything uh nog in star trek apocrypha is one of the very very 
very few people to actually legitimately beat the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> um, and the way that he does it is that when the, uh, I guess it would have been the Romulans at the time, when the Romulans appear and say, we we have, this This is in the, the neutral zone, if you come and get it, we'll start a war. And Wog, uh, Nog apparently just responds, name your price. <laughs> and and, and the, the computer can't handle that, <laughs> so it just breaks. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's yeah. absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Oh, I love Nog. He's one of the best characters. Um, oh, we should mention the kid stabs Picard. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> because. Like, this has all gotten a bit much for him. And he he assumes that if he stabs Picard, he'll be executed. Um, which is when Picard goes, we've we've not been taking this kid's <laughs> desires into this, have we? And then lets him off. So, a lot of people have stabbed Picard. And a lot of people have walked away from it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's yeah. got an artificial heart, right? Yeah. Okay. Is that... Like sturdier than a normal heart. Because if I was going to have an artificial heart, I'd be like, "Well, can you make it from titanium? Can you make it stab-proof?" So, yeah, because I don't want because my my original heart not being stab-proof is what we were in this situation. Actually, I'm out, do you know what? While while you're in there, uh, do, <laughs> do you want to just make all my organs stab-proof? Um, yeah, I feel like if humans have a design flaw, it's that we are relatively easy to stab. What, while you're in there, just just put in the thing from a uh, uh, from the thing from a communicator that lets 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 people lock onto me to beam up. Yeah, <laughs> I just think I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like it's. I mean, to be fair, it's not like Picard's concern. It's like, oh, I can't have too many parts put at me because if I eventually have everything replaced, I'll just be an android. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like okay, this is a good episode of Star Trek. That's what I'll say. Um, not not like I don't think like we said before with the little run of the last four has all been stuff you have to see. This isn't one you have to see, but it's a great example of good Star Trek done well. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Right. Bye. Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>